Hey y'all, welcome to Holy Coitus, a community of hosts, H-E-A-U-X. We are humans who engage in consensual coitus, are kind to ourselves and partners, creative, fully embodied, unapologetic, powerful, and free. My mission is to encourage everybody and everyone to claim or reclaim their sexual agency and voice, regardless of what parts you were born with or changed, where you live, what you did in the past, what you learned in the past, what you plan to do in the future, whether you've had zero sex partners or countless a week, your host story is welcome here. You are welcome here. Hey, hey, y'all. Welcome to my podcast, Holy Coitus. And my name is Jenea, and I love talking to people about their journey towards and becoming a hoe. And so I am working on that in my own life. And I love talking to folks as they journey towards the essence of being a hoe, however they define that for themselves. Um, you can find my work um, on the Instagram at Holy Coitus, which is H-E-A-U-X L-Y-C-O-I-T-U-S. Um, feel free to um, join the Join the revolution, share your story, buy a t-shirt, do a t- um, follow these folks that I have on my podcast and, um, and converse with them. Uh, these are incredible human beings, so brave to share about um, their personal stories and narratives. Also, this is your friendly reminder and encouragement to also share your story. I'm always looking for people to share their journeys. Um, There is no rule per se on who is accepted or if your journey is ho enough. It sure is. Whether you have tons of partners a week or you are a virgin and have been and love that journey, feel free to share your story. Um, Inbox me um, and set up a conversation where you can be on this podcast and share your host story. So this one is super great. She's becoming a dear friend of mine um, from across the pond in America. And um, I can't wait for you to also fall in love with her as well. So without further ado, this is a fellow ho. Enjoy y'all. Hello, everyone. And welcome to my podcast, Holy Coitus. I am Jenea, and I am a ho, and I am talking with Sarah today. She's going to be sharing her whole story, which I'm super riveted by. And um, so welcome, Sarah. Who are you? Where are you? Yes. So I am um, a child of missionaries. Protestant. I am a mother of seven. Um, I'm divorced recently after a 32 year marriage. And um, wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. There is just so much baggage like it's not all right here under this under the eyes mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of it is this morning but mm-hmm. um and I, I have so many friends I I kind of feel like I'm representing you know right now and it's kind of heavy mm. I have a lot of um people that are still still uh, embroiled in the 
harmful, abusive theologies that I came out of. Mm. And one of my things is that I said for a long time that bad theology, and this is why I was interested in theology, uh, it hurts people. Mm. It's not just existing there, you know, in academia in a vacuum. And um, the people that it hurts the most are the people who care about it the most. Mm. Um, and I, I cared a lot. I wanted to do what was right. I wanted to know what was right. You know, my father was, I say he's one of, he was one of the good ones. He passed in 1998. It was very close to him. He did what he did for, I think, very pure, righteous motives. Um, I don't agree that, you know, with, with all of the actions, you know, now in retrospect as an adult myself, I'm the exact age this year as he was when he died, 54. Mm. And um, he... He was a medical doctor who wanted to be a missionary, and he realized that dream, you know. And now I see, even back then, I sort of saw that Americans going to other countries with their faith is not totally, you know, okay. Mm. But um, but he did help people in the physical, you know, with the hospital that they built there. And he loved people. Um he uh, always showed me that I was a high priority for him and that I was a, you know, higher priority than whatever was happening with the mission. And that wasn't the case for a lot of my friends who experienced guilt, you know, if they had needs that, especially if the, the, those needs required their parents to come away, you know, and focus on them and take focus off of the mission work. But, um, God, um, we're here to talk about sex, and like I was saying to you just a second ago, I'm highly sexual, and so maybe that's it, but I just feel like you can't take sex out of any aspect of life as a human being. Like, it's just intrinsic evolutionarily to who we are. Um, um, for me, uh, the theology issue is huge. So, um, Genesis one, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm so super triggered. I was having a conversation with another Instagram buddy who's a deconstructionist, a young guy. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm trying to read the Bible and the message version. See if I can handle that, you know, because <laughs> we're talking how it's been weaponized, you know, so much yes. and, and so triggering. And I was like, how's that going? And he said, well, I'm in Genesis. And I said the word Genesis. I just like felt wow. so much anxiety. I can't even handle it. Yeah. Um, and you know, that whole creation, um, even Adam narrative, I don't know what you learned about it, but basically I was told that this whole shit show is Eve's fault mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and also in purity culture, how it's 100% on the woman to make sure that, you know, she doesn't cause a man to stumble and always being careful how she dresses and where are the, you know, what's, what's the focal point, mm -hmm. you know, make sure there's nothing drawing any attention away from your face or what have you. 
but um, one thing I kind of wanted to start like back in my formation sexually, I got zero sex education. Um, you know, my mother, <laughs> she, I think was very repressed, but she tried to sort of give me the, um, the line or the message that, oh, sex is good and beautiful because God made it. She tried to say those words, but uh, it was super unconvincing. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> I could tell that she really did not believe that. Mm. You know, I found out later um, after my dad passed, she told me that she never once had an orgasm <gasps> the whole time. That oh, that makes me so sad. Oh, my yeah. gosh. But she literally told me nothing. And um, and since I was so sheltered, I didn't go to public high school. Um, I was a virgin when I got married. Hmm. My honeymoon was traumatic. Like, in no way was I prepared for any of that. It was not fun. It was not pleasurable. And... Um, when I got divorced, my first sexual experience um, as a 53-year-old woman, it was the second man I ever had had sex with. Wow. And it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for him, even though that turned out to be not a good fit. Um, but... It showed me what was possible Mm -hmm. and, you know, definitely, certainly what I'd been missing out on. And he was very generous and um, skillful. And I was like, God damn, I didn't even know any of this was possible. There's so many possibilities. um, Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I felt like... um, there was a lot of healing that took place through that first experience that I had outside of my marriage. Um, and then that's only been back in May. So not that long ago. And I've tried to educate myself and I'm using YouTube a lot. Mm And, um, and, you know, when I left my marriage, I I referenced that I have seven children because of all of the faith issues that were tied up in my leaving, um, the relationships with them right now are strained, Mm. but someday, one day I hope to be able to have a chance to correct or like, um, do it better with them regarding, sex ed if you know if they ever feel like they come to a place where they're comfortable asking me some questions or um coming to me for resources or advice I I feel like I'm such a better place you know to address that yeah and handle that now because I have a couple questions um, um sure you so let's uh circle back to the beginning part of your story you said that your mom um, like there was no sex ed. Um, 
But did did you? Because I remember I my first sexual things. My mom was pretty good, um, but I like looked in the card catalog at the library to find some stuff, and that was like my first like experience was actually with porn on accident. Um, so who taught you what you did know before your wedding night? Who or what? Or you literally knew zero I honestly things. didn't know anything. Didn't I mean, I, I had not watched porn. I really didn't talk to my girlfriends because none of them had sexual experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we were all virgins, wow. so far as I knew. You know, mm-hmm. if anybody wasn't, they weren't fessing up. So, no, I mean, it was a blank slate. It was a complete unknown as somebody want one of your guests i think i listened i've listened to a couple of the podcasts one of them was talking about how she hadn't seen a penis <laughs> so well into adulthood yep that was you <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> oh my god uh it was i mean i had I, I, my little brothers you know as a kid mm-hmm. that's it but as far as adult a man you know uh no and that was that was a whole thing that was scary and unknown, but, um, they are very scary. No, I mean, I just, Mm -hmm. I just, and you know, as far as, okay, I did write down, um, I forgot to look it back up and like get some quotes out of this stupid book, but it was handed to me. And I don't know if you, if this was a resource that was still around at your time, but Ed Wheat, W-H-E-A-T. He was a Christian psychologist, and I think he wrote a book for married people or people about to get married um, on sex. And it was so clinical. I'm telling you what, like, it was the worst thing ever. Um, And so I did get that as like a, you know, here you go. Good luck. Um, Oh, no, not good luck. Oh, this is going to be a disaster. Disaster. <laughs> I really, uh, I don't even remember. It was so overwhelmed by that whole situation. I mm-hmm. didn't even read it. I just like, I flipped through a few pages. And I was like, oh, oh my God. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm on my own here. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I'm going to look up the Ed Wheat book because that sounds. Yeah, do that. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Your husband, though, was he also, or ex-husband, was he also a virgin, or did he? Yes, he was. He was equally as inexperienced as myself. Um, You know, and that was the ideal. That was, like, that was Nirvana, man. You know, that was supposed to be the best, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was terrible. Uh, Yeah. I just looked it up. The book is called Intended for Pleasure, and I do remember this one. There you go. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's called Sex Techniques and Sexual Fulfillment in Christian Marriage. I really think I want to read this one. Yep. This is spectacular. Oh, wow. That is clinical. Mm -hmm. Good. (laughs) But you made it through a few pages and then flipped out. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is not gonna address the issues nope, <laughs> sufficiently so within the context of my christian marriage um you know it was just very unfulfilling and mm. part of that was because i never really 
had that emotional connection with him that I wanted. Mm. Um, but and, and part was just I think he was somewhat uninterested in anything other than just the basics. You know, he, he wasn't a fan of oral sex. I never received it. No. Not one time. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we had seven kids, so mm-hmm. it was happening. But it was just so depressing. Mm. Um, after a while, like the last several years, um, I just I just couldn't even face it I would start sleeping on the sofa you know mm. and it it, kept, it went by increments I was thinking about this the other day at first I started out by um I, I I flipped around and started sleeping with my head at the foot of the bed <laughs> that was the, probably should have been the first red flag that was a good like five years before I left five years then after a while mm-hmm. And um, after a while, I I ended up on the floor. I was mm. sleeping on the floor in our bedroom. Mm. And that went on for maybe a year-ish. And then I downstairs to the sofa, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, like, little by little, I was kind of giving myself, like, the heads up that this is the path, you know, that that you're on and because I am and was um taught to not acknowledge my feelings or talk about them Mm. or I was you know given permission to have any uh I was uh, not in denial but just completely unaware of all of the significance okay of these um these indicators that were happening all around me. Mm -hmm. And so when finally, like this past March, I guess it was, I had been thinking to myself, um, a Catholic priest, one time I I had gone to for some help when I was just desperate. And I said, you know, I've been told that I'm supposed to obey and honor my husband and everything unless he asked me to do something sinful. And he was just quiet for a minute and he kind of knew my background. And finally he just said, it's a sin to take someone's autonomy from them. (gasps) And he just like left there. And so I received that. And that was when I started. uh, And he asked me, do you, he asked me the question, what I wanted, did I want to stay in the marriage? And I had never given myself the permission to ask myself that question Mm -hmm. because it didn't matter Mm -hmm. what I wanted. But when I asked myself that question, I knew that I didn't want that. Um, But at the time I had small children. And so after that discussion, that conversation with him, I stayed in the marriage for 10 more years. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, in this March, I I was just, you know, the whole COVID was just, had shredded, you know, the remnants of whatever was left between us and uh, being trapped, you know, at home, at home mm-hmm. together and, and all of that. Um, I had been thinking, okay, my goal was to stay until my youngest one was done with high school, which was going to be five more years. 
Mm. In the spring, I just knew in the depths of my being that um, I was not going to survive that long. Like there wasn't enough left of me to last in that situation for five more years. Mm -hmm. So I informed him that I wanted a divorce. It wasn't the first time he had heard about it because I had talked about a separation Mm. about a year prior to that, which he talked me out of. Um, But I went, I filled out all the papers, and I took them into the courthouse thinking that there was like a six-week waiting period to process those papers, and he, the judge, signed them that day. What? And um, mm -hmm, so I I had no plan (laughs) yet. (laughs) And... um, my ex wanted, once he realized that we were divorced legally, he wanted me out, el pronto. Mm. And so I had left uh, my home with my suitcase, one suitcase. Mm. And that's how I ended up with this guy that I was just talking about that was my first experience. Um, mm. He was somebody I knew through singing karaoke online. Mm. And he was in another state, and he said, you can come here. You know, so I did. Um, but getting back to the subject of your podcast here, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Quiverful just because I feel like that's something maybe that hasn't been discussed here. Yeah. And um, hopefully, you know, somebody that will resonate with it's out there. Um, and that's just the theology. It, it's the one embraced by popularly in our culture by the Duggar family. The Duggars, yeah. TLC show. Mm-hmm. And we really were into that. Like we didn't use birth control because we thought it was anti-biblical and also not only anti-biblical, but we could take it even further than that. We felt that it was a slap in God's face to say no to potentially the gift of another child. Mm. Uh, And so I was quite ill there for some time. I I have Lyme disease. It flares up under stress. And um, I was so, so sick, but I just kept having babies. (laughs) Mm. And we were homeschooling and... um, there was a period there where I was really bed fast and I was like trying to homeschool from bed, you know, wow. and that's when I broke. Um, finally ended up sending some of the kids to school. Um, and that was really, really tough. I felt like I'd really failed them and myself and God and my husband and just everybody, you know, mm-hmm. um, but everything was fine. It turned out fine and it was best for them. Um, but now, so, so my, I have three daughters and four sons, my especially oldest two daughters were really raised in that context Mm -hmm. of, um, idealizing a large family, even though, you know, they saw the good, bad and the ugly of it from a firsthand viewpoint. But I think that they pretty much overall enjoyed living and growing up in a large family, but, um, uh, you know, they certainly have a lot more responsibility than they maybe needed to have. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I always wondered once they 
got married and had their own families, whether they'd even want to have any children, you know, because mm-hmm. they were the oldest, my daughters. And, um, but they do, and they, they are, and they're excellent mothers. Um, my oldest daughter has three little boys that are just um, in a row, and she's homeschooling them, and it's just fabulous. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yes, but I totally support them, and I try to sort of, you know, I have to be low-key with it, but I just try to let them know that I totally support any decisions they make about their fertility. Like nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. I'm completely fine with anybody, um, you know, just deciding they don't want any more children or they don't want any at all. I don't um, see that as, and you know, I don't have, I don't feel any certain way about that. That's everybody's own decision. Yeah. Can you talk um, a bit more about because Duggars are in the are in the news like today? Um, yeah. And I grew up homeschooled, um, but we were not quiverful. Um, it was just my brother and I. My brother's not alive anymore. And um, yeah, but the because like there's there's like the Duggar side, but then we, there's like we the, should, for people who don't know why that is called quiverful it's because in proverbs the verse says happy is a um, man whose quiver is full of children right but like is that's not all that the duggars were like they're a part of like a special sect with like oh they're gothard Gothard yeah so like is gothard and quiverful together are they separate or like uh, is They're it, separate. It's okay. a, they overlap in the Venn diagram, but no, they are separate. Okay. And then your side, um, what was the denomination that you grew up in because you were a uh, missionary kid? And is that the same as the Quiverful? Like your parents were also Quiverful? Like, no, is- my parents were not Quiverful. They were independent Baptist, which is one of the most um, conservative a fundamentalist Baptist mm-hmm. groups. So a lot of people who are familiar with Baptists, they know the Southern Baptists, which are quite liberal, actually. Yes. But the independent fundamentalist Baptists, they, what what I guess um, singles them out or defines them is that there's no overarching authority like there's not a conference there's not like an Mm -hmm. episcopal board or anything there's not like a group of bishops each pastor has complete autonomy over his congregation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it when they when they do um fellowship together it's completely on a i guess kind of arbitrary regional voluntary basis but none of them are accountable to anybody Mm-hmm. So it's quite dangerous mm-hmm. um, for the parishioners, and they have no voice or way to call anybody to account. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but the, but it wasn't the quiverful was not a teaching that was embraced by the church that I was in. It's something I was exposed to after I had my own children and decided to homeschool them, and I was mm-hmm. largely into that through uh, Mike and Debbie Pearl. I'll just throw some names out. Some of you will know of them. <laughs> but, um, definitely Gothard. 
I never did the Gothard homeschool curriculum, but a lot of my friends did. Mm-hmm. Some of them even went to IBLP headquarters and worked there. Really? Um, yes. And let's see, who else was pushing the, the um, quiver full on us? Um, Mm -hmm. mostly Gothard and the Pearls is what comes to mind right now and I read uh, Mike and Debbie's uh, child training book to train up a child it's to train up a child so that's the that they are oh my god that book is also truly spectacular yes can you give oh Yes. I wish I had kept my copy, so, you know, for reference, for times like this, but I probably burned it or something. They all should Um, be burned. They were really abusive um, to their children, and they taught some um, techniques really should only ever be used with animals, if that. Mm. And they were were sadomasochists, Mm -hmm. um, in my opinion, because... Uh, one ex- excerpt that I clearly remember, I don't even need to look at the book for this one. They were talking about how uh, one of their children didn't want to sit in their car seat as a toddler. And how they handled that was they would bring the car seat, put it in the middle of the living room floor, strap the child in. Yes. Then the child would just scream and scream and cry. And they would just leave them in there. It didn't matter how long, if it was an mm-hmm. hour, two hours until the child submitted to being in mm-hmm. that car seat. And they just did this repeatedly until the child gave up. So their whole philosophy was surrounding breaking the will because they felt that the child's will was inherently evil Mm. and it was rebellious. And that if you don't nip that in the bud as a parent, then that just completely guarantees your child is going to rebel against God later Mm -hmm. on too. So, Are there children, like, are, is, like... How so, have they turned out? Yeah, does anyone know where their kids went? Are they? Um, are I they followed okay? that. I followed that for a while. Several of them are real ass kissers, and they stayed with mom and dad on the compound. And mm. you know, they they toe the line. Um, one of them, the oldest one, uh, Rebecca, she went as a single girl missionary to I think it was Papua New Guinea, and they just praised her up and down. She was, I think, the favorite, the golden child. Mm-hmm. She kind of went off the rails uh, later on. She married a guy who was abusive. He was a lot like her dad, honestly, mm-hmm. but he took her away from her family and um, controlled her access to them. So I don't mm-hmm. even know. They were like living in a tent in New Mexico somewhere oh at last God. I knew, like with no no electricity and no running water and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, she, yeah, she's one of the ones that actually kind of weighs on me that I think about that kind of keeps me up late at night, you know, like wonder how she's she is and can she get out of, she, you know, is she trapped and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So there's, uh, I, I'd like to get like a, a better understanding of this Venn diagram that you mentioned before. So there's the, the Gothic okay. side, the Debbie Pearl, like, what else is in this Venn diagram? And then also, like, where are you in the Venn diagram? Where Where is your okay. your family with your kids? Um, okay. So, 
mine is a little bit all over the place, especially after I got married. But before getting married in the in the Fundy Baptist world, we had um, Gothard's representatives. I don't know if it was specifically personally him, but I remember in the late 70s, like that teaching being introduced to our church. He was having all of those mega conferences and mm-hmm. there was that binder, you know, that he had with all of the materials in it. And our church had all of that. And a lot of the people went to those conferences. So there was an overlap there. Um, but you know, Bill Gothard <laughs> never got married. This is the humorous thing to no me. Way. He was teaching all these millions of people all of this crap about marriage and roles in marriage and rearing children. He never, he never, he didn't know what he, he didn't know any of it firsthand. Like it was all from the Bible Mm -hmm. and that's, that was just good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, that was authoritative. So yeah. Um, after, let's see, after I got married, uh, my ex grew up kind of like Methodist ish, Um, his parents were more liberal than mine, for sure. We started going, we got married and started going to, um, a non-denom church, Mm -hmm. which was kind of a new thing at that time in 1989. It's very cool. And then, you know, in retrospect now, you know, the joke I think is basically that a non-denominational is basically just a Baptist church that doesn't want to say that they are. Yep, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of true, Mm -hmm. probably. Um, The things that were new to me there were like the pastor of that particular church had grown up Quaker, and he had been a missionary in Africa. He was really cool, very loving, um, just accepting kind of a man, non-judgmental very much a pacifist, you know, as Mm. the Quakers are. And he was not one of these um, tyrants in the pulpit, you know, but I was under a lot of those guys. Mm. And um, we would have like worship music, which I did not grow up with. I grew up with strictly hymns. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought, you know, I was, I was living my best life. Mm -hmm. Um, It was all like new and free. We took a group of um, youngsters to Mexico with a charismatic ministry, and everybody just spoke in tongues, you know. So much tongues. (laughs) So much tongues. Including us. Yes. It's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) So fun. It's like candy. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was feeling very sort of unleashed, you know, with Mm. all of that. But then we had kids, and we had to decide where they were going to go to school. And my ex had just hated his public school experience. Mm-hmm. Did not want that for them. I had no clue, you know, because I hadn't been to public school. So I was like, okay, whatever. We met a family that had homeschooled children that we were impressed with. And we said, yes, that's what we want to do. So we started doing that. And this is slightly before the internet. So I'm just looking for resources and going to conferences uh, where materials are sold. And that's really when it started getting dark. Mm -hmm. Um, And because you're looking for somebody that sounds like they know what they're talking about, that can kind of give you a path to follow. And um, most of these people, a lot of them um, have since then fallen 
you know, quote unquote, fallen in shame through immorality or mostly or whatnot mm-hmm. um, from their positions. One of them specifically, Vision Forum, was a group that I ordered a lot of stuff from from their catalog. Mm-hmm. Doug Phillips Esquire. You guys know him? I'm going to look him up. <laughs> These names are fascinating. Esquire. Okay. I don't know this one. I, I know. Do you know Vadi Baham? By any chance. He, yes, I remember Vadi Bakum. Mm -hmm. So he and Doug Phillips were tight. Wow. And I don't remember if Vadi was part of Vision Forum or not, but they definitely spoke in a lot of the same, like, conferences and things. Another one, um, I don't remember this guy's name. I think they were from Australia or New Zealand, this family. And they did a video, their daughters did a video called The Return of the Daughters. I think that was what it was called. Talking about, like, stay-at-home daughters and how you're under your dad's authority. And I just thought that was, you know, the bomb. And I bought it. I had my daughters watch it. And, And I... I might be getting them mixed up because they did one and then Vision Forum, Doug Phillips also had one. But um, in one of these videos that was about stay at home daughter, I remember there was a cam, there was several cameos, you know, they would get their star pupils in there and give them these little, you know, things to say snippets. And there was this lovely girl, Lourdes. She was Hispanic Teenage, just gorgeous, glowing, mm-hmm. happy, talking about being a stay-at-home daughter. Well, on down the road, it was only maybe five years down the road from then. Uh, she was Doug Phillips's nanny, and it came out that he had um, sexually molested her. No. And kudos to her. She had the balls. She called it out against all, you know, um, trying to be shushed by, by mostly everybody. I don't know mm-hmm. about her family exactly, but, um, she took him to court. She mm-hmm. lost, but, um, that brought him down. And, um, today yeah. she is thriving and I'm probably a hoe. Probably. <laughs> I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. Um, intelligent, gorgeous woman. Mm. I know she's not married yet. Um, follow her on Instagram. But um, yes, there was a lot of mind fuckery and um, indoctrination. Mm. Heavy, heavy, heavy indoctrination. And so, you know, I try to go easy on myself that, yes, I stayed in it a long time past my expiration date, like when I should have been old enough to know better, you know, and some things should have dawned on me. Mm-hmm. But I, I was fully, um, it, it, it's a cult. It's a cult mentality mm-hmm. when you're in it. Yeah. And just because it is such a large Venn diagram, um, and I have one resource on that that I'll send to you. Uh, one gal that I follow 
I did a whole YouTube on that Venn diagram. It's probably useful to you, so I'll send Absolutely. that to you. And I'll be sure to post to it on your blog piece or on the little thing okay. that I made for you so fo- folks can okay. do their own research. Yes. Oh, my God. So gosh. I went to college at Bob Jones University, which is definitely in there. In that, oh, my gosh. That not Bob Jones. <laughs> you were in it, in it. This is amazing. So when people know what that's about. Because, I mean, how do you explain that <laughs> It was like, the it's like Liberty University is like, it's like, Liberty, I think, is Bob Jones light. And then, but I don't Bob even know. Bob Jones is Liberty's, uh, is Liberty University's little sister that wears bloomers. Yeah. <laughs> and, like a, and like a head covering. Oh my God, not Bob Jones. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. So we could talk a little bit about that because um, I just, I observed that so many of the marriages that took place between people who had dated one another at BJ, they failed because, you know, it was so supervised. Every date there was, um, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call, uh, when you have the person that's watching. Yeah. Yes. Thank they you. Mm-hmm. They were chaperone dates. We, we had a, a big building that was called the dating parlor and sofas and board games and an old lady sitting there and that's where you went or you could go to a ball game you know that was very much supervised um and (laughs) the old lady in the corner is spectacular (laughs) oh my god so i mean the bad kids were just like they were pop they were busting out everywhere like in the elevators mm. and like outside of campus right outside the fence and like at the mall and Wait, there definitely was a in fence? cars you know there was a fence? yes oh, yes okay. and it was high security there so mm. so for instance and especially for much more so for the girls mm. like there was this very strong vibe there that they were protecting women's purity mm. um and that you know, um, that that was a a dangerous thing to explore, you know, um, as a woman to go off campus, you had to get written permission from Mm -hmm. the Dean of women that stated on your slip of paper, how many, who was going, how many they were Mm -hmm. in what car and when you were going to be back. And of course there was a curfew. So I know, I remember one time I had a car one year that I lived in the dorms. I took four of us to the mall. And while we were at the mall, we picked up a gal that was a bad girl that had gone Mm. out without a permission slip. Mm -hmm. And so one of us had to come back trunk. (laughs) Wow. Because because they checked at the gate. There was like a slow security, you know, Mm -hmm. um, depot guards and they looked at your list and they counted the people in the car so the whole thing was there a dean of men or just a dean of women like how does this oh yeah there was dean of men too but the men's um permissions to go and come were much much laxer you know they didn't they didn't police that nearly as much Mm. so they had a lot more freedoms um (laughs) because they didn't have a vagina of course not (laughs) 
Did you find your husband at BJ or like? I did not. And that was one of the reasons why I married him. (laughs) Because I was, I was very against even back then, like that whole situation. I met him in Brazil. Um, Hmm. He had a family member who also was a missionary in Brazil. Like we both just ended up there at the same time and our paths crossed. And that's how I ended up in uh, where I am now in the Midwest, because mm-hmm. uh, I originally was from West Virginia, born there. So, no, he, uh, his parents actually told me they knew about Bob Jones, and they were like, oh, shit, you know, they they weren't a fan of, of me being from there, but then they realized that I wasn't towing all of those lines. They were happy. But so, but so then, like I, like I said, after having my own children, I, I sort of regressed way back, like far, even farther in some ways into the indoctrination and the, um, all of that quiverfulness and, um, uh, marriage roles, you know, the authority of the, the Mm -hmm. husband, that whole umbrella authority thing, that's a Gothard thing. So that teaching was God was the top umbrella. And then I think Jesus under that, then the husband, the man, the head of the home, mm-hmm. if it wasn't, if you didn't have a husband, then your father was that. Mm. Um, then the wife came under that and then the children. And so that helpful little uh, illustration was to teach that if you strayed out from under your proper authority, your covering, you'd get rained on, you'd get, you know, hailed on or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, stuff would go south. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. And that was, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, I know that was a heavy, heavy influence on the Duggar. For sure. For sure. Did you just did you see just recently that that oldest daughter uh, is also has a lawsuit um, or or a case opened? It's not a lawsuit. It's a case opened on her for um, potentially having uh, neglected some of the children that she was supposed to be in charge of in the family. Wait, somebody sued her. For neglecting. It's, not, it's not a lawsuit, but somebody reported her for mm-hmm. child neglect. And, uh, and what, from what I've seen so far, apparently it was a situation such that maybe she was babysitting at home and had either laid down to, for a nap or something, and some of them like strayed out, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. got loose. Somebody <laughs> got loose. reported that. So she, she's oh, in hot God. water right now. Um and, you know, the, I know how that whole thing works. They've got a target on them now. So, you know, that remains to be seen if that was legit. But mm-hmm. she's one of the ones I feel bad for, too, because as the oldest daughter, you know, for whatever reason, she didn't get married. And she's been really the mother of those children, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. I had one more question with the quiverful in your family. So um, you said that at the beginning you weren't a quiverful, but then you became. So like, yes. how did that work? Like, did you say, okay, now I have three. So now I'm quiverful. 
So when we when we got married, we we talked about how many was a good number, and we both. Uh, he was from a family of four. I was from a family of three. Four sounded like a lot to me at that time. I wasn't great with kids. I I mean, I had little brothers. I never was in charge of them, and I had gone to boarding school in high school and not even lived with them. You know, so I didn't have a lot. Of, I didn't babysit. I hadn't had a lot of experience with kids. So four to me sounded like a lot. Then we had four. By the time we had our fourth child, we were deeply into um, the influences of quiverful theology and families. And we were hanging out with families who had 12, 10, 8, Mm -hmm. you know, 11 children. Mm -hmm. And um, I just didn't think I was ready to be done. I I think that... I found a lot of fulfillment in my role as a mother, and I felt that it was something that I did well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, my identity was very, very heavily by that time, you know, entwined with bearing children and homeschooling them, mm-hmm. you know. So even though I was ill, and I had three miscarriages along the way as well, one which was very, very traumatic. I, it wasn't enough for me to say, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I was 40, I had number seven, Mm -hmm. my youngest, my baby, that was so rough. And, um, none of my pregnancies and none of my labors were easy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but his was, um, Truly, truly, you know, difficult. And by the time I got him out, (laughs) that was when I knew I could never, ever do that again. Mm -hmm. But mind you, I'm still just using natural family planning because I'm still convinced that that's the only really allowable way to handle it. But after I um, had him at age 40, I finally figured out that I ovulated on day 12 mm-hmm. and um, instead of eating and that just, that was enough to make it be a, a successful method for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, wow. but so, okay. One more question when it comes to quiverful, not quiverful, but um, I know with some of my uh, folks that I grew up with that even like condoms, absolutely not, but um, natural family planning. Like some of my f- people were like, if he wants it, then you have it. Like regardless of what time, of like what time in ovulation you are, like that's your duty is to have sex when he's when he's ready or or is interested. And so there was one person I know. She was on the swim team that we were on, and um, she was almost. She got pregnant with her 11th and she was devastated because she was like, I know I'm about to get pregnant and I can't stop this. Um, so did, can you talk a bit about like, like what kinds of birth control or like what strategies were people using in order to have the seven or not have the seven or stop at four or like, what did that look like in your circle when you were growing up? Not growing up, but okay. when you were parenting. Right. Yes. Um, so growing up, my mother herself did have her tubes tied after number three. 
So that wasn't like an issue for her. She didn't struggle with that decision. And she never understood why I kept having the children that I had. Um, She didn't support that. Um, The circles that I was in as a young mom and wife and my peers, um, it varied. But I think the ideal or sort of like the best, most secure answer to that dilemma if you really like if the mother really we we had known families maybe where the the mother was even worse off than I was you know physically then really the biblical answer to that situation was supposed to be just didn't have sex anymore you know the Mm -hmm. husband was supposed to um just give that up you know for the good the ultimate the, bit, the larger good of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, other other way, I mean, condoms were definitely frowned on and um, any type of, you know, morning after pill obviously wasn't going to be an option. Um, I did have a couple of friends. One was Catholic and one was Reformed where they were taught um, there is no acceptable method. Like, uh, you, you must be constantly available even during your fertile period. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh my goodness. <sighs> what a, what a time to be alive. That is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, those were all of my questions for follow-up. Because I didn't quite understand. Okay. Now, where are we now in your in your journey? Yes. Um, there's just so much that um, is on my mind, but I keep thinking about this movie. It was called Love in the Time of Cholera. It was a book, too. I wrote it down. It was written by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And then they made a movie out of it. And I've just been thinking a lot about sex and love in the time of COVID. Mm. And um, how things are different. Of course, I don't know how different they are because this is all I know about dating. It's been COVID ever since I started, you know. But just the dating apps and COVID. And I'm curious about how that's changed everything for people because it just seems ridiculous to me (laughs) I mean the technology is nice in that like so I live in a very small town and the dating pool is is I've already you know there's nobody here that I have anything in common with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if I'm gonna I'm going to date and meet people. I'm going to have to go outside of this community. So I'm Mm -hmm. thankful in that sense. But my God, I mean, um, the ghosting, you know, and Mm -hmm. what the hoops that you have to jump through just to meet somebody, Mm -hmm. just to talk with them. And I'm over here just horny as all get out. Yes, it's fair. (laughs) You know, and um, I'm lonely. And, um, and I'm wondering, you know, you and I talked about <laughs> those stories were standard. amazing. I'm wondering, 
I'm wondering oh how God. has it affected the standard for people? Because I can kind of see it both ways. Like in one sense, it seems like it's kind of like, okay, do you have a penis and are you not revolting? Let's go. <laughs> and then on the other oh. hand, <laughs> on the other hand, I feel like, um, I feel this, like I, I really want to have that true love, that guy that's all about me. Um, I'm his first choice, his first option. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think part of that is like people throughout this COVID experience have examined like, is mm-hmm. what I'm doing making me happy? Yes. You know, is this what I want to do if my days are numbered? You know, mm-hmm. is this how I want my life to be? Yeah. So. It's so challenging. I don't, like, I'm a bride in, in communism, so I don't have any, all I can talk about is, like, what I've experienced over here, and it is, even during, when, before the virus, it was malarkey, and now with the virus, oh my goodness, um, but most of the foreigners are gone, and I'm not interested in locals, because, just, why, and then, um, but I've had requests for, like, especially when, like, China was completely shut down because they, they knew that this thing was serious, unlike America. But, like, um, so they would, we would have these right. gardens, and the garden would have, like, ten or 15,000 people in it with buildings and blah, blah. And it, they would shut down the gates so you couldn't go in unless you were a resident. So, like, unless you wanted to, like, fuck your neighbor, but everyone else is married, like, that's you had to leave like it was really awful and I my favorite one was like this super hot guy and we didn't meet up and he was like hey I know of this place and we can we can have sex in the bushes I and I know that the cameras won't see and I was like first of all outside in the bushes bushes are not tall and second of all you know this because you've been there many times and third of all how like everywhere here has cameras like i'm so concerned (laughs) none of this makes any sense and then he's like why you don't trust me absolutely not i don't and then the other the other one he said um you can't come into my building but we can have sex in the stairwell and i was like there's no camera the stairwell like hooking up in the we no this is i i need a bed like this is not like bare minimum is bed <laughs> or couch. I don't know, but stairwell. Oh God, yeah. So it was a no for both of those. Um, well, one thing maybe I'm I'm sure you want to wrap up soon, but one thing. No, I we have plenty of time if you have is time. When I was yes. married, oh good. We good, have plenty good, of time. Okay. Yes. When I was married, I questioned whether it was my fault that the connection wasn't there, both mm-hmm. sexually and emotionally. And um, one thing that's, that really helped me through, you know, kind of being a hoe is that I found out that it wasn't mm-hmm. my fault. I can make those connections mm-hmm. with people, yeah. um, both sexually and emotionally. And, and it's been actually not that hard mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. So... Um, that was a good thing that I've learned. Um, everybody my age seems to be taking Viagra, all the guys. 
So excellent. That's that's been a thing. What are your thoughts on Viagra? (laughs) I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do, I guess. Absolutely. Um, And as long as it's, you know, I don't have a problem with it. It kind of maybe affects the spontaneity a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, that's just a fact of life, apparently. And I guess it's kind of a mismatch because, you know, if you want to be sleeping with people that are in your own age group, for me anyway, and I think many women that I've talked to who are going through menopause are super horny. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like it's almost as bad for a woman my age, hormones raging, as it is, I think, for teen guys. Like, it's almost to that oh, level. Yeah. And, um, in fact, that one one that uh, I told you about that was the polyamorous marine sniper, <laughs> um, he told me, he was like, you're wearing me out. You need to go get another boyfriend. Oh, excellent. That is the best compliment ever. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> um, and I've said this on my Instagram that, because I like to hear feedback on this from, from everybody, but um, for me, ideally, I, I sex once a day, like at least once every day would mm-hmm. be really nice. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where my my threshold or level my my ideal would be. Mm-hmm. So, just finding that match of because um because it's been a, you know not every guy, especially my age, is that into it. Mm-hmm. You know, and really wants it that much. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I don't. I'm not such a fan of sex toys. You know, and I. I guess I should not knock something without having tried it, but, um, yeah, I don't really, I much prefer skin on skin and like having that, that connection, that human connection. So, I don't know. Yeah. I cuss at my therapist regularly about how much I hate sex toys and she's like, well, uh, <laughs> so I'm working on it cause I'm not a fan either, but I don't have many options right now. And so it's pretty Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Another thing that kind of is twined up in all of this um, for me was body image and how um, I perceived the male gaze and what I did with that, you know, and the, and the shame and guilt feelings that I always had mm. um, over that, especially as a married woman that was unfulfilled, you know, and I felt a lot of pressure to, you know, rein in my thought life and, um, not flirt and not receive flirting. And, um, a couple of times, like after I'd basically finished having children and I could kind of get my, my body, you know, back, I lost a good bit of weight about, 10 or 12 years ago and right when I was down getting down to the lowest weight I'd been at for a while and feeling good about myself that it just started to get to be too much um, male attention Mm -hmm. and I 
I wasn't ready to handle it emotionally and mentally, didn't know what to do with it. So I sabotaged myself Mm -hmm. and just gained it back, you know, Mm -hmm. to escape that whole conundrum. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's an experience maybe other women can relate to as well. Yeah, for sure. So when you are like now that you are in your hoe phase or whatever you're wanting to call this season, like how do you feel about your body, like your actual body? And what are some of the thoughts that you have? Cause I feel, I feel good about it. Um, I was a little bit self-conscious right at first, like being exposed to somebody usually that I didn't know that well, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, but the guys, by and large, there was one that was, like, did one of those compliment things that really wasn't a compliment, that was mm-hmm. kind of an asshole. Yeah, they happened. <laughs> he said, he said, uh, you have really nice tits for a mature woman. Oh, punch you in the throat. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> conditioned by many facts many people and just not conditioned but I was taught that like you know I had to be great in in all other areas and then but not necessarily sexuality so like I had to have all the hobbies and I had to be number one in all the the, all the academics and blah 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 but they didn't talk about the sexuality piece and so then I realized that like I was topping all the things and my resume looks amazing and I have all of the greatness, but then I was still super virgin and really upset. And then I didn't know like that my body could be appreciated. And I do and did hide from my, hide my, hide my feelings and who I am under my body. And I was just talking to somebody today. Cause like I live in China where everyone is like basically a stick and I'm not a stick and I'm also black. And so tiny tiny and like um but dudes like love chub chub and they like to grab it and to squeeze and they like to (laughs) poke it and they like to do the little hand thing and stroke like they get so excited and i was like i thought i was supposed to burn this off at the gym and they're like no you need to keep it (laughs) okay i'll keep it Uh, oh sure but somehow through my being sexually active is how i have learn to appreciate my body and I thought that that was not healthy but I I was I'm able to see like my body is amazing and people and guys like it and then I'm like you're right my chub chub is great like and it's and it is squishy I am like it's wonderful so yes I understand Mm -hmm. wow what else is on your list because I know you had so many things I love people when um, they have a list. I think it's so great. 
<laughs> okay, this is a this is a dating app question because I keep seeing guys saying saying this, and I'm one. I, I want to get your feedback. On Absolutely, because I'm on the apps and they are it's bullshit. <laughs> okay, what's the question? <laughs> when they say that they that their favorite meal is tacos. <laughs> ah! Uh, is that a sexual reference? I feel like it is. Yes, it's pussy. <laughs> okay, I'm <Yes>. just checking. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. You know, I had this one guy. <laughs> like, I think they come, go to the same website, like, and to find this shit, and they <laughs> share it with everyone. Like, oh, wow. Good job. That's when you give them a thumbs up. Like, oh, me. Like, but you can't say me too because you like pee. Like, you say, well, I like hot dogs. I don't know. Like, <laughs> excellent. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So, I've gotten, to, I've gotten um, to go out with such a wide variety of guys. And see, I didn't date before mm. I got married. I really didn't. I had one steady boyfriend in high school, you know, that was the typical um, high puppy dog romance. We didn't have sex. Mm-hmm. And um, so I am enjoying it. Um, I, I've dated a couple of guys that were professors, a lot of blue collar workers. Mm-hmm. I love them mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, um, electrician, a mechanic, um, a guy that was in juvie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was the bad boy. Yes, um, you know a couple of military, different military guys. This most recently guy that I went out with, um, he was a paratrooper, an mm-hmm. army paratrooper. Mm-hmm. And I think I told you, like my kryptonite is tattoos. Mm-hmm. Even the college professor had the alphabet tattooed in tiny caps down the inside of his arm. That's really hard. That. Yeah, that's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you have got like you have experienced so many things in the, like the last several months i'm so proud of you thank you yes thank you it's it's there have been a time a couple of times when i you know sort of lost my equilibrium a little bit but i do still see my therapist that i've um gone to for the past four years here locally who's excellent she supported me through going no contact with my mother Mm. that was before my divorce and then through the divorce Mm -hmm. and she's still there for me and um she said she thinks i'm doing well you know all things that hurts a lot that's happened so oh it's so great when the therapist is like good job i'm like i'm really trying i'm really trying (laughs) Yes. I have a few other questions. So like you're like as you are navigating this um this season of your life, like what are your yeses and what are your no's? Like this is not what we're doing or this is yes, like this. Uh, well, I need to really contemplate that a lot more. And, and firm some things up for myself because I tend to do that on the fly a mm. little bit. Um, so far, um, I, I have not wanted to do anal. Mm-hmm. 
And I've had a couple of close encounters Mm -hmm. (laughs) with that where I had to really get firm, you know, Mm -hmm. about it. Um, I've, I've kind of decided that, um, uh, my girlfriend group that I'm loosely on, you know, unofficially in here locally that we just talk together and kind of compare notes and support each other. <laughs> this, uh, one gal, she has a saying, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And, um, For me, that's a helpful guideline because I do tend to kind of go way out of my way to try to make something work Mm -hmm. if it seems like it could work, you know. And I I definitely put up with some bullshit Mm -hmm. in a couple of different situations um, where it was not respectful to me and my needs, Mm -hmm. you know. So one of them is, does he text back? I went along with a situation for the longest time when I would be in the middle of texting this guy and he would just disappear, you Mm -hmm. know, and it could be 12 hours or four days, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I can't function like that. Like I need way more affirmation than that. For sure. So Mm -hmm. most people I think do, but, um, it was, it was really a learning curve for me to understand that um oh my gosh thank you so much dear friend for sharing your story and your whole journey um after being married for so long and figuring all of these things out i was it was and am so um honored when people like you share your story um for those of you who have heard this journey and it resonates with you, please feel free to follow her life as she's figuring things out and as making it through the world just as all of us are. Um, she is on the Instagram as the violent bear it away. And so that is um, going to be tagged on this episode and also in the show notes. So you can just click on it and follow her. Also, come and join And listen to my podcast and other old episodes of Other Fuddle Hoes. Thirdly, um, come be a guest and you share your story of being a hoe. Everyone is welcome. So, uh, as we close today's episode, please be kind to yourself. Go to therapy, y'all. It'll change your life as long as you get a good therapist. And also... (sighs) Just be patient with yourself and love the journey that you're on, even the hard parts. Until next time, y'all. Bye-bye.